Um, and when information goes, misinformation goes viral on the internet and, and it takes roots in people's minds, then they're more prone to promote other misconceptions and, and falsehoods. So um, that information can actually metastasize kind of like a cancer. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Produced by Soapbox Media. The world needs evidence-based public policy now more than ever. Making the right decisions should not be partisan politics. Please help spread the rational view by going to patron.podbean.com slash the rational view. Together, we can make a better future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. On this episode, I have a returning guest, Dr. Andy Norman, whose group, Circe, is taking on a new challenge to fight the world's disinformation problems. As an ally of The Rational View, Andy's group of dedicated experts is looking for ways to boost society's mental immunity against parasitic memes and the ever-growing threat of misinformation. I hope you enjoy it. If you like it, please press like on your podcast app and share the love. Help me spread the rational view. Returning guest Andy Norman is the award-winning author of Mental Immunity, Infectious Ideas, Mind Parasites, and the Search for a Better Way to Think. His work has appeared in Scientific American, Psychology Today, Psychiatric Times, Skeptic, Free Inquiry, and The Humanist. He's appeared on the Joe Rogan Experience, NPR, and the BBC's Naked Scientist. Thankfully, he is clothed now. His research illuminates the evolutionary origins of human reasoning, the norms that make dialogue fruitful, and the workings of the mind's immune system. He champions the emerging science of mental immunity as the antidote to disinformation, propaganda, hate, and division. He's the founder of the Cognitive Immunology Research Collaborative, or CIRCE, a global think tank leading the effort to inoculate humanity against cognitive contagion. Dr. Norman, welcome back to The Rational View. Thank you very much, Al. It's nice to be here. I'm trying trying to interpret your uh, luckily he's he's today as a compliment and struggling, my friend. But it's just you know, you're probably. I right. guess for for it being a podcast, it's all right. But when we put it out on YouTube, we don't want you know to get that R rating. So <laughs> you are you are founder of Circe, the Cognitive Immunology Research Collaborative. Tell me a little bit about Circe, mm-hmm. how it came to be, and and what the goal of Circe is. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think I, I can take this back to where our conversation last time, um, I was talking about my book on mental immunity uh, a couple of years ago with you. Um, and I was really gratified by the larger response to that book insofar as scientists from many different disciplines were actually coming to me saying, hey, there really needs to be an institute to promote the science that you're proposing. Mm-hmm. Um, I call it cognitive immunology. It's that's kind of a fancy word for trying to understand the mind's ability to fight off bad information mm. using analogies from the science of of the body's immune system. Sure, sure. Um, because it's turning out that those analogies are surprisingly robust and actually even illuminating to those who study mis and disinformation. 
So that's the concept. Um, I've, I've been running Cersei now for about a year and a half, almost two years. And um, uh, it's pretty amazing what we've been able to accomplish. We now have our initiatives now have the backing of over 100 scientists. And um, we're actually busy translating a lot of the geek speak into stuff normal people can can understand and benefit from, too. So, OK, well, that seems like a laudable goal. And, you know, it's really in line with us here at The Rational View trying to fight the forces of misinformation, which you know seems to be rampant on social media. Uh, as a as a vector for for spreading this, if we want to uh, expand the analogy, what what do you see as the as the biggest dangers of this this what seems to be a misinformation pandemic that we're in? Yeah, well, it turns out that the quality of our thinking is dependent, sort of, not just on I don't know whether you've studied critical thinking in college or or anywhere else. It, it depends a lot on just kind of the the inf- the ambient information information that that we all kind of swim in um and when information goes misinformation goes viral on the internet and and it takes roots in people's minds then they're more prone to promote other misconceptions and and falsehoods so um that information can actually metastasize kind of like a cancer and and to really understand this problem. So I, I've studied rationality itself for about 30 years. And I think that the tools of philosophy and logic and critical thinking are wonderful for helping us become better thinkers. But I actually think we can look forward to a day, a day when we can actually take critical thinking skills to a whole nother level by understanding the information environment using the tools of biology and ecology and immunology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I agree that that's something we should strive for. And you've been working hard with your group on, on devising new ways to immunize the public. What, what are the tools that you are providing or working on um, to help? Yeah. So the place to go um, the first place to go, if, if you're interested, or if you're a listener that's interested, is our, our new website for what we call the Mental Immunity Project. Um, that's mentalimmunityproject.org. Org. Um, and what we do there is we just kind of uh, help people understand what it is to maintain a, a mind with a healthy immune system. So if your mind's immune system is functioning properly, it'll spot and screen out most of the bad information out there. But if you're agitated in various ways, if you're angry, if you're um, locked in what you feel is a a life or death culture war, your mind's defenses start to go haywire. And we need to understand why that happens and how we can, and what the antidotes are. Mm. And there are some very simple, we, we detail 10 simple steps that everyone can take okay. to sort of take their thinking to the next level. And um, I, some of these things are just kind of modified common sense. It's kind of philosophical in flavor, but uh, we've, we're working with some absolutely masterful science communicators who are making this stuff way more fun and engaging than I can. Uh, than I can. 
and mm. it's it's really neat stuff. I mean, I guess the hard part is to get people to to challenge their their preconceptions, and there there's I think a lot of there's a large amount of tribalism involved in the in the sort of polarized debates that where misinformation becomes rampant and it's, yes. it's difficult for people to want to challenge the, their tribe or, or ask the questions that would allow them to, to listen to the other side. How do you, how do you tackle that? Yeah. Well, so philosophers have been wrestling with a version of this problem for a long time. You know, even back in ancient Greece, you had tribes, sort of political tribes that were busy kind of using rhetoric to bash each other. And, you know, some of my philosophical heroes, Socrates and Plato among them, recognized that you really can't think well if you're being a culture warrior, if you're um, busy using inflammatory rhetoric to win at all costs. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, the way we like to put it in the cognitive immunology community is that um, if you bring a warrior's mentality to thinking, you're going to subvert your own thinking. Mm -hmm. If, if you if you reason to win rather than reason to find out, you're sowing the seeds of your own mental decline. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, you can't be highly partisan without sacrificing your the objectivity needed to be a good. And, and a lot of the times, you know, once you've entered that fray and posted inflammatory stuff and and ridiculed the opposition, you are invested in that position that you've that you're that you're pushing and you know you you can't yeah. back a lot of people just can't back out so it's it's very well i've i've felt the pull of that right it's it's a seductive thing i mean when especially when you're arguing in front of what you think is a a, a large audience that might question your intelligence or might question your sanity it's easy to get really defensive and i think one of the flaws in this in our social media driven culture right now is that it's really easy to get swept up in that and to argue to win and thereby just pull up pull at some of the seams that holds our society together it's easier to defend your your rightness and lose a friend when all real so all good scientific debate takes it for granted that you're gonna um, that you need to coexist and in on friendly terms with your opponent when the when the argument's over. You go out, for, you, you argue for your your scientific theory. You, maybe you bash the other guy's theory a little bit, but you know you're going to go out for a beer afterwards or meet at the next conference, and and you got to remain civil. That helps to keep scientific discourse rational. That attitude, and unless we bring the attitude that, you know what, I ultimately want to be your friend. I want to be your, your um, I want to coexist with you. If you don't bring that attitude to your debate on social media, you're not helping. You're, you're actually part of the problem. Mm -hmm. And these, these tools, these 10 tools that you put together, um, I think, you know, it's, it's a great idea. But what about the fact that it's just getting harder for people to, um, to disentangle the truth, uh, you know, we now have chat GPT out there, which is like an artificial intelligence that can talk circles around people. We have deep fakes being created by AI. At, you know, we now have 
the tools for very low cost convincing misinformation campaigns that are, that could be rampant on the internet are, are we are we doomed to be overwhelmed by these these forces i wouldn't say doomed but i am quite concerned um the this new generative ai stuff is is really phenomenally impressive and in some cases it returns very good information to prompts, but but researchers who study the behavior of these things also talk about what what is it called the uh, uh, AI, not AI delusions. Can you help me remember the term they use for it? Uh, hallucinations. Thank you. Yeah. So so you ask a generative AI for for an answer, it might well man, manufacture fake fake news and insert it into the story it feeds you. And if you're not on your guard, you might end up spreading that and exacerbating our world's mis and disinformation problem. Um, yet, I, I think it's, I can imagine a future where our shared information environment becomes more and more polluted as machines read what's out there and generate more of it the same or more that's consistent with it. In other words, that we could end up with a vicious cycle where the information environment come, becomes more and more polluted and our thinking becomes more and more haywire. Or it could spiral the other direction where we gradually clean up the information environment and our thinking gets better and better over time. Uh, a lot's going to, there's some critical issues that need to be resolved in the coming five or 10 years if we're going to get this right. Indeed. I think. You know, one of the big problems that I see in starting dialogues across a polarized divide is, is this lack of a shared reality or a shared set of facts, even. It seems that the basic assumptions are so different that it makes communication difficult. Why can't we even agree on the facts? I mean, this used to be something that people pretty well all agreed on, I thought. Well, it, it's it's always true that people have had a harder time reaching consensus on moral and political issues than on scientific or factual questions. And it's really nice if you can have a shared set of facts to build on as you're trying to resolve those thornier political, ethical, and even religious questions. Um, but actually, it's, it also goes the other way around. If you don't have a shared understanding of the norms that should govern rational dialogue, even factual discourse becomes really hard to, to conduct well. So, so the best scientific discussions are built on, on a sense of shared values. So one of the things scientists cherishes is accountable talk. If you say something, assert something, you need to be able to back it up. That's one of the norms that's deeply ingrained in science, and it helps make contributors to the scientific discourse more responsible because they know other people are going to hold them accountable. The big problem with so much pseudoscience and so much anti-vax and anti-science -sci denial out there is you, you've got people who don't care about rational accountability and instead simply um, assume that they're entitled to their opinion. So, so we, we can take a fundamentally, we, we, we can bring an attitude of entitlement to, to the life of the mind and if we do that, we're going to give ourselves all kinds of permission to believe and say things that probably ought, oughtn't to be thought or said. The alternative is to realize that it's terribly important that each and every one of us bring an attitude of, I'm going to be a responsible contributor to the 
to the national conversation on this. Um, so I think account- we need to be teaching every kid these days that accountable talk is among their most important responsibilities. So what, one of the most important elements of being a good person in the digital age. And sure, certainly um, we've all fallen victim to being unaccountable or for sharing unverified memes or, or pictures on the internet. But that's definitely something that a good reminder for everyone is that, you know, you see uh, a meme that agrees with your position or that has some scores, some point on the opposition and you turn around and say, share, ha ha, look at that. I'm scoring points. But then, you know, you go and you, you, you should be researching these things before you send them out. <laughs> and that, you know, it's a great reminder. It's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's very easy to just assume that your tribe is correct and 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 that the people scoring points for your team. We, we like to say here at at Cersei and with the Mental Immunity Project, we, we like to say play for team truth, not for team uh, Democrat or team Republican or you know team Christian or team atheist. Um, uh, if we're all on team truth and we work to cultivate the trust that any good, well-functioning team needs, we can overcome these things. We, we, we can transform bitter recriminations into fruitful, illuminating, and dialogues and conversations. And, and I really look forward to the day when we do that because every conversation becomes more fun, more exciting, more illuminating when people bring the right attitude. Yeah, I, I mean, this is something that I've strive to do on this podcast as well is to give people the tools they need to have these discussions because you know just posting on the internet you're not going to convince a lot of people you need to have one-on-one discussions with with people that have different viewpoints and different assumptions and i think you know one of the the key as you mentioned one of the key uh planks that tie us together are shared values and I think a lot of, in a lot of cases, we share v- very similar values with people that seem to be on the polar opposite on certain issues. We all have very similar issues. It's just how do we come to them from our tribe and, and listening and um, empathizing, I think, is a great entry into this. And you can't do that in a, in a broad Posting, you know, even if you have a you know a hundred thousand followers, if you start posting stuff, they're they're not going to listen to you. You need to have that personal connection, I think, and th- and that's why things like the Rational View and then Cersei giving people the tools to have these conversations is is very important. So, out of your your ten pillars in Cersei, what what do you think are the most important? Could you give us maybe just give us an outline of, of one or two of of the most important things? Sure. Yeah, um, uh, let me mention a couple of my favorites, but uh, there's plenty more of where this came from. So so, um, most of us have this idea that learning is about adding to the mind's knowledge stockpile. In other words, we imagine adding stuff to our minds. We think it's really important to embrace the concept of subtractive learning. In other words, it's important that you add stuff that should be in there, but it's also important that you subtract out stuff that shouldn't be relied upon in your thinking and and, and discourse. So when you recognize that misconceptions find their way into all of our thinking, 
every single one of us probably harbors hundreds, if not thousands of what we jokingly call mind parasites, mind bugs. Um, and if you enter into conversations, assuming that, that any conflict that arises is probably because the other guys infected, but, but, but I'm immune, then you're bringing the wrong attitude. Um, you need to realize that we all need to unlearn a bunch of stuff and you need to be open to the possibility that some of the ideas, some of the information you've taken on could be wrong. Um, so embrace the idea that subtractive learning is almost as important as additive learning and bring the humility that goes with that into your conversations, especially your political conversations, your, con your conversations about religion and, and ethics. Yeah, indeed. I, and I think, you know, communication strategies and, and you know, just actually listening to what the people across the aisle are saying are very important for that. I mean, a lot of us, and I've also, you know, fallen victim to this is, you know, instead of listening to what your opponent, quote unquote, opponent is saying, you're, you're preparing your counter argument while they're talking <laughs> instead of actually going along with them and following them and maybe coming out to a, a collaborative result that would be better than just attacking uh, for, for the theater of it, which seems to be what we're doing most of the time on social media. Yeah. You've mentioned listening skills a couple of times now, and I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, those are really important. I, I had an experience um, when I was a young first I was a very young professor. I took a course on, on mediation, like the process of actually sitting down with people you're conflicting with, conflicted with, and and overcoming that the conflict. And I just learned some profound things about listening. Listening can be magical, um, and I think we all need to get better at it. Um, conversations become so much richer and more rewarding when we become good listeners. Um, and I can't recommend the art of developing your listening skills enough. Um, by the way, I've gotten involved, Cersei's gotten involved with a group called the Listen First Coalition. It's a group of like 450 organizations around the country, most of them grassroots, each of which stages conversations where you actually listen respectfully to people on the other side of the political aisle get Democrats listening to Republicans and Republicans listening to Democrats and realizing that they don't have forked tails and horns, <laughs> right? That well, these neighbors of mine who I thought were so crazily rational, they've actually, their hearts are in the right place, but we need to really listen to each other to understand that because if we, all we do is pay attention to those buzzing, vibrating phones in our pockets, we get the idea that the other side is populated purely by crazies. But that's an artifact of the way the media amplifies the most extreme views. And, and not only the media, I mean, there are also, you know, bad actors out there that are, you know, are focused on sowing um, chaos and confusion. Discord. Discord. And, and, you know, these people have deep pockets and you know, all of those fancy meme pictures that you see out there about you know, hate and, and screw this and screw that. These are being generated by someone who's paid to do it and making a, a hefty a hefty amount of money or, you know, supporting a foreign government or foreign interest that wants to. And you have to think about, you know, why 
are these being made? And, you know, they're, they're trying to ramp up the, you know, there, there's evidence that the Russians are involved in some of this. There, there's evidence that, that there's overseas um, troll farms that are just, you know, you can you can pick out the bots. People have gone through and looked at the the accounts on social media are all pushing the same message. I expect this is going to get worse before it gets better. Now with with the artificial intelligence out there that they can make their own accounts and <laughs> start spreading false messages. Yeah, really important point. Um, I, I mean, a moment ago I was emphasizing the importance of sort of bringing a charitable attitude into conversations and and expecting the best and expecting goodwill on the part of the person who represents the other point of view. For 95%, 99% of our interactions, that's the right attitude to bring. But there are people out there who are deliberately trying to manipulate us with information, that are deliberately trying to divide us and sow chaos. We know that this is true of the Russian um, uh, information warfare apparatus, that they are actively sowing discord in the US we know that there are domestic organizations that deliberately try to manipulate people. Mm. Um, and th that's a very different category of people. I'm not sure you can have a decent dialogue or conversation with people who argue in bad faith. So, right, it, you've probably been following this whole kerfuffle about Joe Rogan and uh, 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 the anti uh, RFK Jr. and the anti-vax. Yes, I've, I've heard of that. Challenge. It's really hard to know what to do in that case. In this case, the uh, the scientist in question, whose name I'm, I'm blanking on for the moment, it was Joe Rogan offered $100,000 to the charity of the scientist's choice if he'd come on to Rogan's show and debate RFK Jr. about uh, a great vaccine conspiracy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The guy declined. And Elon Musk piles in and says that he's scared to debate it because he knows he's wrong. And, that, and that's just wacky. That's just wrong. The, the guy who, the scientist in question, was part of a Nobel Prize winning science team. Um, I think I have that right. He's certainly a very distinguished scientist. Um, and there are plenty of good reasons not to engage in bad face actors. And I think Rupp. RFK Jr., if he's not a bad faith actor, is at least a highly um, misinformed one. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not sure which of those is the more accurate description of Robert Kennedy Jr., but I do have a friend. I, 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 don't, I don't remember, Al, if I sent this friend your way, Lee McIntyre. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I did an interview with Lee. It was really good. Yeah, so he's got a book coming out at the end of the summer called Disinformation, where he argues that the deliberately bad actors who are trying to manipulate us are the real, the real root cause of this problem, that the information environment is polluted right now because they are deliberately waging war on our minds and that we need to wake up and address that problem. I agree. So yeah, you're absolutely right out. Um, we, we need, we need almost unending patience for those who dialogue in good faith and we need to be, and we need to not extend the same charity to those who intentionally try to manipulate. Yeah, and I really sympathize with with you know the scientists in that in that case because debating is is not something that scientists are trained for. 
Uh, certainly, they're trained to do written debate in the in the literature. But you know, to be a good debater, you have to have a certain charisma. You have to be, you know, fast on your feet, and you don't have to. You have to have a certain laissez-faire attitude toward the facts. It seems to to really do well, um, or else you're obvi- you're quickly on your back foot trying to explain against a, a gish gallop of misinformation <laughs> all the facts. <laughs> I like that word. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, well, and and so the the skills needed to win a public debate are quite different from the skills needed to actually help science progress and to actually discern the truth. And scientists, you're right, are trained for the the latter, not the former. And that doesn't that often that leaves them ill-equipped to to combat disinformation spreaders in public forums. I I just got finished composing a social media post on this, suggesting that people like me who've actually studied the methodology of science and who know how to shift a conversation from what's true about this fact about this vaccine to wait a second here, buddy, you're employing an argumentative technique that is so out of bounds given the norms of science. Right. You have to be able to shift a conversation from one to the other. And an effective public debater on this question will understand the methodology of science and be really good at communicating how science works so that people can can learn why the peddlers of anti-vax nonsense, um, how they pull off the illusion that they're actually speaking truth. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of. A lot of false information out there and a lot of misinterpretation of, of good information that, that passes for public debate on these things. And, and it seems like uh, it's not having a good effect on on the entire health field, right? Because, you, you know, you, you see, yeah. you know, vaccines are our best tool against infectious disease. It, you know, they're a proven success in you know several ways and now we we're going to see a resurgence of defeated you know so-called defeated diseases like measles and uh god it's 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 frightening what are it's happening already it's frightening what this so this is you know one good example of where misinformation leads yeah the world health organization has has declared that infodemics epidemics of misinformation can be a major public health problem and that that the public health community needs to understand how infodemics work so that we can combat the threat they pose to pandemic response. Yeah, I think one of the, the big mistakes that was made in, in this, uh, in the pandemic vaccine rollout is the demonization of people that were hesitant. You know, this really got gets people's backs up, right? And, and it's obviously not helpful to, to you know, cast... There are plenty of reasons that people might have to be hesitant about taking a new a new vaccine that you know that Trump rolled out in record time. So you know there are lots of hesitations and and you know people don't have the same knowledge base of you and I or or, or a scientific basis, and many people have reasons not to trust these establishments. So demonizing these people for being hesitant or uncertain, especially when there's so much misinformation going on, was just the wrong policy. And I think it's 
really hurt the the whole thing. You know, if you can't respectfully listen to what people's real concerns are, you're going to make the problem worse, not better. <laughs> you said that really well, Al. Um, and I, I think there was a um, there's there's a very respected Republican pollster, Frank Luntz, I think his name is, who sat down with twenty people who were reluctant to take the vaccine. Almost all of them, were, all, they were all conservatives. And he actually brought with him an infectious disease expert. And they had a kind of a focus group. And at the end of the focus group, they measured the participants and 19 out of the 20 said, yeah, they, they were more likely now to go out and get vaccinated. Wow. And then you look and you look at what actually happened in that session. The number one thing they did was listen. Frank Luntz, the guy who was running the focus group and the expert that he brought with him, just sat there and listened to the concerns of the people who were reluctant to get vaccinated. And feeling listened to made them open up to the facts, to, to, to the good arguments for why they should get vaccinated. So if we go in listening first with compassion and charity, understand people's concerns, and then try to um, maintain trust as we... Uh, help them think things through. That's the right way, I think, to deal with vaccine denial. Demonizing people, you're right, is usually counterproductive. And I got to say, in the at the highest pitch of the pandemic, my mind was racing with put downs of the vaccine deniers too. And I'm a little bit ashamed of that now, because as you point out, those who were uh, spreading such disdain online we're probably exacerbating the problem rather than helping. Yeah, the communication strategies in an emergency is, is a very um, interesting area of expertise that, that maybe should be discussed more. Um, I had a, an interview not long ago on, mm -hmm. on someone who had published a book on, on communicating science in an emergency. And it was associated with um, nuclear meltdowns like the Fukushima uh, disaster, for example, and how... Um, you know, people were, were frightened and how misinformation was, was gathered. And in a lot of these cases, you know, public health experts, for example, in, in, in the pandemic, public health experts knew what the best strategy was. And so they're trying to say, okay, how, you know, from a statistical point, this is the best strategy. How do we get the most people on board? This strategy was, is what they, they needed to be thinking. So, and then what that does is, as soon as you start, you know, changing your message to try to prod people rather than sticking to the facts, you know, there's a lot of uh, will to, to, to just get people to do what they should be doing. And how can we incentivize these people or threaten them to do what they should be doing rather than addressing their concerns and sticking to the facts? That I think that also caused a bit of problem is, is that, you know, we know what they should be doing. We know better. And, and this came through very strongly, I think, to the people that were being hesitant. Yeah, some, uh, some of the psychologists I listen to or call this attitude, we know better, paternalistic, or I mean, I guess lots of people use that term. Yeah, paternalistic attitude turns people off and people are far less likely to listen to you if you're, if you, uh, what, what's the word, if you patronize. Yes. So, I mean, it's interesting, right? Uh, scientists are in a bit of a bind here. Many of them have developed highly esoteric specialties that require many, many years of training to master. And this allows them to do cutting edge work. 
But when you ask them to try to explain these things to the general public, they don't know how, um, or they don't know how to do it effectively. Mm -hmm. um, this is a big problem. Um, I think every one of us should be, none of us should want scientific to be, science to become an elitist cabal. And in some ways, it is an uh, exclusive club, right? Go get your PhD or you're not allowed to write journal articles, right? Or we're not going to take your opinion seriously or invite you to conferences until you've got your PhD. There are good reasons for, for credentialing people that way, but it can seem very exclusive and elitist mm -hmm. to yes. people on the outside. And that makes them worry that it's corrupt. We need to combat the misperceptions about science. It, it's not an elitist cabal. It is, it is not um, an, an, an attempt to be holier than thou or smarter than thou. Um, and a certain amount of deference is owed people who've devoted their lives to understanding an issue that, um, that we haven't. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean we, we always take their opinions without question. It doesn't mean can't raise questions. Um, and it doesn't mean that uh, science is an elitist component. You're working now to, to with Circe to improve people's cognitive immunity. You're, you've got a, a white paper out, I guess, on on what we should be doing. Um, so what are the next steps for, for Circe? What are, what are you guys hoping to do next? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned that uh, scientists from all over have, have kind of come together uh, around this vision for, for the science of mental immunity. Uh, a group of maybe a dozen experts that we brought together um, have written, we call it the mental immunity declaration. Um, and we've circulated among domain experts and scientists and right now over a hundred have, have signed it. And that declaration says, hey, the science of mental immunity has really arrived. The, the evidence is here and minds do have something very like an immune system. And we need to understand how that how those immune systems function so that they can function well in a, in a digital age. So we're trying to push the boundaries of our understanding of the, of the problem and, and, and what works to combat it. But we're also taking what we've already learned and translating it into practical tips for, uh, for everyone. Um, I think I've, you invited me to share a couple before. I shared one, uh, embrace subtractive learning. Here's another, don't identify with your beliefs. Mm. If as soon as you, as, as soon as you take your beliefs to be identity defining, then any challenge to those beliefs comes, feels like a personal threat. And if you feel threatened, you're, you're likely to get defensive, of course, and, and to lose your uh, composure right? and to lose your objectivity. So we should all learn to treat our beliefs. I su I'd suggest think of them as house guests that might wear out their welcome. Your beliefs seem to be working pretty well for you right now. That's fine. But be open to the possibility that anyone might overstay their welcome. And then it's time to show them the door. That's, that's good. Um, so don't cling too tightly to the beliefs you have and you'll become a better thinker. Uh, that can continue to evolve as the information situation evolves. That seems like a, a very good tip. So you've got these these ten 
pillars of of immunity. Um, where did they come from? Did they come from research, or you know, do we have any benchmarks to say how effective they are, or are these just things that you guys have have come up with on your own, and and you're going to test them in the future? That's a wonderful question. Um, so they they derive from a combination of of philosophy, a tr philosophical tradition that goes back centuries, um, ancient wisdom traditions, um, and really cool developments in, in the cognitive sciences that's, that show that our minds are actually inoculable. So in the same way that we can inoculate our bodies against COVID, we can inoculate our minds against, say, conspiracy theories. Um, there's some really cool techniques now that if you expose people, to, so I'll just give you an example. You know how the the COVID vaccine works by exposing you to an, a, a, a dis a, a disabled version of the of the virus itself, right? You, you 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 take a version of the virus, you kill it, introduce it to the body, and the body learns how to spot viruses like that. That's how vaccines work. So if you take a bunch of kids and you say, "Hey guys." Birds aren't real. They're really surveillance devices that the government is using to spy on all of us. And you share with them this hilarious um, tongue-in-cheek conspiracy theory called the birds aren't real conspiracy. You get them playing with an, an, an utterly harmless version of a conspiracy theory. And you ask them, hey, how does this work? And, um, okay, guess what, kids? Divide up into groups now and then come up with your own wacky conspiracy theory. Make it as effective as you can and then figure out ways to make it really seductive. And you get kids like just actively designing their own misinformation campaigns or their own um, their own conspiracy theories. And then, of course, you debrief them afterwards and you say, All right, what did you learn from that? And don't don't use these techniques for evil, people, right? <laughs> but be on the alert that others might try to use them against you. I see. Yes. Oh. It, and that turns out to work, be an amazingly successful way to in, improve people's resistance to mis and disinformation. Do you have any any plans to to track the effectiveness of your campaign, or do you have any feedback that you're planning to, to take in? Yeah, so I'm not an empirical scientist myself. I, I, I'm not qualified to do you know, gather data and interpret it, but I'm working with a whole bunch of scientists who are. And many of them opt for more sort of controlled studies. So um, the the set of tips and tricks that we offer on the site is a combination of empirical science and philosophical ext extension. Not all of it has been empirically validated as effective, but we think that the odds are very good that future tests will prove them to be helpful. Excellent. Um, but... Um, you know, some of my colleagues are, are busy doing controlled studies of what you have to say to a climate denier to get them to back off their climate deniers. And it certain, turns out there are certain pre-bunking or inoculation techniques that that help people let go or, or better yet, never become a climate change denier in the first place. Mm, mm, yeah, pre-bunking pre is, is, is like a like your own mental vaccine, I suppose. So... Exactly. It's it's been good to chat about all this work that you're doing uh, and you know pushing forward on the anti misinformation uh, fight is is welcomed. 
from the rational view. What what can rational view listeners do to, to help spread cognitive immunity? Well, thanks very much for asking. Um, yeah, if you're interested, I hope your listeners will check out uh, first the website of our institute. Um, that's called CIRCE, or and the the web web address there is cognitiveimmunology.net. Um, but the, the, that's for the the relatively geekish among us. Um, and if you're just interested in learning the practical takeaways from this and do it and to encounter them in kind of a fun, accessible way then go to the website for our Mental Immunity Project, which is mentalimmunityproject.org. Um, you can follow either one of those organizations on social media and help to amplify our efforts to educate the public on this, these things. Um, and we'd love for people to get involved in what we're, gonna, what we're calling the Mental Immunity Revolution in any way that, that, they, uh, that inspires them. Um, we think there's a ton of room to change the world for the better here, and we invite allies and advocates of all kinds to reach out and suggest ways we might work together. Well, that's, that's a great message, Andy. I think maybe we'll, we'll leave it there. I appreciate you coming on the show again and, and chatting with us and, and maybe I'll, I'll try and get in touch with some of your, uh, your, your colleagues at, at Cersei. I know we've talked to Lee McIntyre in the past and it's good news that he's coming forward with a new book. So, so that's, that's great. Uh, the, the fight against misinformation mm-hmm. continues. Thank you. Yes. All right. Thank you, Al. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.